0: You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. morning, church. Today, we begin a new series in the book of Proverbs. And I believe it's a perfect dovetail from the series that we just finished last week on emotional health. Proverbs is about wisdom, and wisdom is not just intelligence. Wisdom is much more than intelligence, much more than knowledge. Wisdom is actually about emotional intelligence. So we had a great primer, a great foundation in the Emotional Healthy Church series that we just did. Wisdom is always given for a purpose. Wisdom is given to us for a purpose, and it's always to be used in the context of relationships. And as we ended our series in Emotionally Healthy Church, we said all of emotional health is so that we know how to relate with God and relate with other people. Proverbs gives us wisdom so that we could relate with others, that we can relate with God, and that we can relate with creation. The first nine chapters of Proverbs, if you're reading along, we've been telling you to read a a chapter of Proverbs every single day. And if you started on April 1st, you're in Proverbs 6 today. Proverbs chapter 1 through 9 is called the preamble. They are the introduction for the the Proverbs. What what Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 does, it, it makes a case for why you should want wisdom. Why you should go after wisdom with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your life to go after it in pursuit of it. Then after chapters, chapter 9 and chapters 10 and on, we get those short, pithy statements of truths to be applied only through the use of Wisdom. So I would not start reading chapters 10 through 31 until you've spent time in chapters 1 through 9 because you won't know how to apply those verses and when. And so what we'll be doing over the next several weeks is doing an introduction to wisdom, taking, of course, a small break during Easter on Easter Sunday, though we will talk about Christ, the wisdom of God that day. And then after these first four weeks as an introduction, then we will jump into topically. And we'll deal with a lot of fun things. In chapters 10 on, you get fun little uh, proverbial nuggets like whoever he's disciplined shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Or if you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. It's a great proverb. <laughs> this practical knowledge. Like, where's honey? I want to eat all of it. No, proverb says not to. You will throw up. Or even Proverbs 26:11, where it says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats their folly. Or chapter 15, 17, a better, my wife's favorite one, better a small serving vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. She's a vegetarian, so that's her verse. But we also need to learn how to apply these statements. In chapters 10 through 31, there's these short proverbial statements, but we need to learn how to apply them. Because some seem to contradict one another. Some seem to be preaching moralism. And some see, seem to be teaching cause and effect. Is that true? If I do not work, will I not eat? Will the righteous never really be uprooted? It's going to take wisdom to learn how to wisely navigate these Proverbs. And it will take wisdom to apply them. So today, as we begin the book of Proverbs, I want to talk about two simple points in an introduction of Proverbs. And they are these. Your need for wisdom and how to receive it. Your need for wisdom and how to receive wisdom. So let's read our selected texts today, which they're all up on the screen right there, um, and then I'll pray. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings of riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of the faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right. And just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from evil people. Wisdom will also save you also from the immoral women. Thus, you will walk in the ways of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Let's pray. God, I I ask today humbly for wisdom. I myself, as I stand before your church, ask you for wisdom, God. I humble myself before your word. We all do, God. And before we ever can even start to get wisdom, we have to realize that all wisdom comes from you. And so we do that this morning. All wisdom comes from you. God, I repent from ways in my own life where I've been prideful or think I have the whole world or you or my life figured out. I repent of that, God. And today, we just submit ourselves under the authority and the power of your good word. And we ask God as a church that you would give us wisdom. Your word says in James that you give it freely. You will give it to us, God, if we seek it, if we ask for it, and we ask for it this morning. Would you lead us today in your word? In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when, in my early 20s, three distinct moments where my boss called me into his office for a talk. My boss was the senior pastor of the church that I was serving at at the time. His name was Pastor Kinney. The very first time he called me into his office, he said to me, and he would always lean up against his desk, and then normally I would sit down or I would just stand there looking into his eyes, and he said to me, Dave, I just got on staff there full time as a youth director, and he pulled me in his office and says, Dave, most people in our church are working class. They work long and hard hours. They work in oil and in construction, and they're growers and they're educators and the like. They work hard and they give generously to this church. He said, pastors already have a reputation for golfing five days a week and showing up for three hours for work on a Sunday morning. So he said this, I want you to develop a strong work ethic. Then he told me that he had heard that I was going to this new place that just opened up in Bakersfield called Starbucks to study for my sermons and sip on frappuccinos all day. Now, this was the late 90s when most people went to Starbucks not to work on their laptops, but for leisure. And it was also a time when people worked mostly with their hands, especially in my hometown. And so his exhortation to me was this, Dave, as a young man, work hard as a pastor. The people you serve deserve this. They work hard, and you must work hard. Then a few months later, we're sitting in a staff meeting, and I said something Um, that came off maybe arrogant or self-assuming. I didn't know it at the time. I said it. I I didn't remember saying it, or I didn't really acknowledge I said it. Then he pulled me in his office after staff meeting, and he said, Dave, imagine you were in charge and had responsibility over the whole staff, and someone told you what they were going to do without discussing it with you first. What would you think of this person? And of course, I didn't realize that this person was me, and so I said... Well, I mean, I walked right into this. And I said, well, I think this person is prideful and (laughs) self-assuming. And he said, you're the man. And I'm like, thank you. Oh, wait. (laughs) And it was, I was completely humbled. And then he taught me a lesson on humility. And he said, this is one of the most important qualities to good pastoring. Be humble. And then after being on staff for a while, I had the opportunity to teach in big church. And when I had the opportunity to teach in big church on a couple different occasions, we had, I had a lot, all these very kind people, members of our church, that came up to me afterwards with words of encouragement, telling me that my future was bright in pastoring and in ministry and that they loved learning from me. And that next week I was called into his office again. <laughs> Don't ever preach. No, he didn't say that. He said this, and I'll never forget this lesson. He said to me, Dave, I want you to, I want you to consider two things. Influence. character he said you're starting as a young man to gain a lot of influence but if your character doesn't grow at a faster rate than your influence you will fall you will get top-heavy you will get proud your head will be puffed up and you will fall he says folk he said to me focus and grow your character and it will be a sure foundation for all the influence that God will bring into your life You know what this was, these lessons? Wisdom. I needed wisdom to mark my young life. The wisdom that he imparted to me was work hard, be humble, your character must outpace your influence. Work hard, be humble, and your character must outpace your influence. For me, this was wax on, wax off, paint the fence, sand the floor. This was wisdom. Now, if you didn't understand that Credit Kid reference, shame on you. (laughs) You're all too young, and you need to go and watch some good movies. (laughs) Now, none of these lessons or this wisdom had to do necessarily with moral right and wrong. They had to do with wisdom. How do I carry myself? How do I apply what I know? And how do I know when to apply it? And then when I was ordained... At the ripe age of 22 years old, the elders of my church laid hands on me, and they all prayed. And I'll never, I'll I'll always hear these this prayer ringing in my ears. They laid their hands on me, and they kept on praying one after the other. God, give him wisdom beyond his years. God, give him wisdom. Give him wisdom. Give him wisdom. Why wisdom? Because I was young, and I was still fairly untrained. I didn't have the years of experience. I didn't have the brilliance of a seminarian or the the honed intellect of a scholar. I needed wisdom. And because these elders knew the scriptures, if you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head and she will present you with a beautiful crown. Wisdom is better than brilliance. Barry Schwartz has a TED talk viewed over two million times on TED.com, I guess. I don't know. But you know maybe.com. I don't know. And it's this talk. He called it our lost of wisdom. And in 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 this lecture, Barry says this. At TED, brilliance is rampant. I think he even says, it's scary how brilliant this room is. He says, the good news is that you don't need to be brilliant to be wise. The bad news is, Is that without wisdom, brilliance isn't enough. Brilliance, he says, is likely to get you and other people into as much trouble as anything else. What he's arguing is exactly what uh, Solomon is arguing in Proverbs. Being smart, being brilliant isn't enough. I know this room is full of brilliant, smart people. You can be smart and end up in prison. You can be smart and lose everything. Everything. You can be brilliant and make a mess of your life. And knowing the rules isn't enough either. Peace officers and lawmakers go to jail and make a mess of their lives and the other people around them all the time. Even knowing Christian moral absolutes isn't enough. You can know all the moral absolutes of being a wife and still have a horrible marriage. It has been said by a leading wisdom scholar, Tremper Longman, that Proverbs, is all about a different kind of intelligence. He says that Proverbs is about emotional intelligence. He says emotional intelligence is different than raw intelligence. Raw intelligence is what most of us gain in school. It's facts and knowledge and information. Raw intelligence is what we are bombarded on as soon as we open up our Twitter app. It's what we're bombarded with in the news. It's what we, what we search for in Wikipedia. That's raw intelligence. Raw intelligence is knowing that. Raw intelligence is knowing that. Emotional intelligence, wisdom, is knowing how. Raw intelligence, what most of us have gathered in university, what most of us have gathered in school, is knowing that something. But wisdom is knowing how. What do we do with all this data? What do we do with all this information? As we open up a stream of news, 24-hour news cycles, what do we do with all this information? What do we do with all this raw data? Wisdom tells us What to do with it. We don't just take it in in a stream as fast as our fingers can flick. We we can take it in and go, this is what I do with this information. Raw intellect is knowing that something is true. Emotional intelligence, wisdom, is knowing how to apply it. And not just how to apply it, but why we apply it and when we are to apply it. See, rules, law, and intelligence don't answer all our questions about life and how to live it well. We need wisdom if we ever want to live a good life, if we want to ever want to live the good life. A couple of weeks ago, we just had our first dating lecture. And the reason why it took so long to have this lecture, and the reason why it's very difficult, as I sat with my really good friend, John Mark, who taught the lecture, he said, I'm only doing this because I love you. I don't want to teach on this. And the reason why I didn't want to teach on it, and he didn't want to teach on it either, is because there's no chapter and verse about dating. There are no Christian laws that clearly define dating. And then afterwards, we had a text in Q&A time. That was really fun. Four of us were on this panel, and there were over 100, about 100 texts that came in about, about questions. And all the questions, they weren't about moral laws or absolute. Well, most of them weren't about moral laws or absolutes. They were about something else. I'm going to give you a sample of a couple of them. Here are three of the questions that I just randomly picked just today. Just picked them and put them on, on, on the screen. Here they are. Here, so, and you might ask this, someone asked it, but a, a, a lot of you guys ask these sort of questions. I see some Christians dating, non-exclusively, or serial dating, such as going through six different girls in what six months. Is that healthy? AKA, it's not healthy. <laughs> that's what they're asking, they're saying, can you pastor, can you tell them it's not healthy? Is that godly? I, that's how I'm kind of reading this in my head. Is that protecting their brother's or sister's heart? I, in other words, it's not, would you please beat someone up? This was a majority. Of, this is almost every question was reframed like, like these. Next question. What are biblical physical boundaries in dating and why are physical boundaries in dating important for maturing in Christ? Great question. Next question. Is it okay to date someone who has less, spiritual, uh, less spirituality or is less spiritually mature, pardon me, or prioritize God less? Should we be on the same level or similar or is it okay to have a wide discrepancy? What all these questions we received, most of the questions we received that night have in common is that they don't have to do with law or moral absolutes, necessarily. Of course, the second question could be answered, flee sexual immorality. But you're like, okay, so do I just flee sexual intercourse? How far is too far? All that stuff. But here's the good news. We're going to give you the answers to all those questions over the next 12 weeks. It's called wisdom. They all have to do with wisdom. One couple of writers on hermeneutics say this about wisdom. They say, Wisdom is practical theology for a day to day godly life in a complicated world. It's how you and I live day to day in this very messy, very complicated world, whether it's a work world or a dating world or a relationship world or a world filled with competing ideologies of, of politics and sexuality. And how do we live day to day? Wisdom is the practical theology of living this out. Now, wisdom is not less than moral absolutes. I keep saying wisdom is not moral absolute. It's not less than that. Don't think, oh, wisdom, I can just do what I want to do. It's not less than the law of God, but it is more than the law of God. Solomon says in chapter 1, verse 3, wisdom is for doing what is right and just and fair. A great way to, to interpret Fair there is virtuous. Wisdom is for doing what is right and just and virtuous. Wisdom is not only ethical, but it's social, acceptable behavior. It's how we relate to the world in a godly way. For example, right now there is a huge, um, not just a citywide debate and a citywide concern, but also getting um, national attention on this whole housing crisis that we have in our city. It's just too darn expensive to live here. Can we all agree? Yes. It's so expensive to live in San Francisco, and it's a crisis. And then all these people getting evicted from their homes is a problem. And then there's this backlash against the tech community. And everyone is saying this is all gonna be solved by rules and laws. Now those may help, but they will not solve the problem. What everyone needs is what? Wisdom. Landlords, founders, tech workers, and residents all need to do what is right, just, and virtuous. So if you can sit down, a landlord, and go, okay, before you evict this person, do what's right, do what's just, do what's virtuous. Before you want to kick someone out and you move in and you're going to change the whole neighborhood, do what's right. Just and virtuous. If everyone did what was right, just, and virtuous, then it would solve everyone's problems. No laws needed. But you might see a problem here. And the problem is this what is right, just, and fair? According to whom? This means something different to different people. And Proverbs affirms this. Proverbs says in chapter 14 there is a way that appears to be right. But the end of it leads to death. Everyone's doing what they think is right, just, and fair. Is there any absolutes? I mean, even Proverbs could seem like it's contradicting itself. It says things like, if you don't work, you don't eat. But then it also says, to honor and help those who are in need. So which is it? You have Proverbs 10.4 that says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So you can quote that proverb and go, you know the problem of our of our city is that people are lazy. People need to work harder. If they worked harder, they get more money. If they get more money, they can li- they afford to live here. And Proverbs 14, 20 says, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. You can say, see, money talks. All you have to know is use your money to get, get new friends and you'll have, you'll have a very healthy life. But then, Proverbs 14, 21, the very next verse says, it is a sin to despise one na- one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. And then you have Proverbs fourteen thirty one, Whoever opposes the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So how do we apply Proverbs? How do we apply wisdom? What is right and just and fair? And how do we find that out? The key is that last part of that last sentence. Honor God. The key to wisdom is God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1.7 says. Even if we have the moral law of God as general revelation, and we all have it, we all have the Bible here, we all, we, all of us could, could look at this and find out what's right to do. And we can think we and act according to the law, but that would make us pharisaical, like the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. Like there's a law that on Sabbath you did no work. But they took that law to such a degree to where they were letting people starve and be sick. And then Jesus comes along and heals. And he heals on Sabbath. And they say, you're breaking the law. And then Jesus is like, no, I'm not. I'm applying wisdom to the law. Wisdom is knowing God and his word and learning how to navigate life well with it. Just think about how we make decisions. A lot of us live differently and make decisions differently. We are faced with the decision, when we are faced with a decision, we try and make the most calculated decision we can. I think our church sometimes is filled with overthinkers. When I sit down with people, they overthink everything. You overthink everything. You gather all the information. We gather all the information we need, all the knowledge that we can, so we can make the right decision that we think is best. We list pros, we list cons. This could be the moral law, this could be information, this could be demographics, Whatever. But here's the problem. When we try to take in all the information to make the right decision, no human being sees and knows everything. So you could research, you could do all you can, but you will still not know everything. But you know the beautiful thing about wisdom? Wisdom was there from the beginning. Wisdom has all information. Wisdom sees it all. Look, how, well, look what wisdom says, and just, just going, the wisdom going after the people of God, going, hey, you want me. This is why you want me. In verse 22 in chapter 8, it says, The Lord has brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. When there was no watery depths, I was given birth. When there was no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in its place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizons and the face of the deep when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now, then, children, listen to me. Why? Because I know it all. I've been there. I, I was there before you were even made. I've seen all of human history. I've seen how the world works, how God made it to be. I was there. Listen to me. To know how to live right and good, we must, we feel that we have to know everything. Now, are our decisions going to be good or are they going to be bad in the long run? And overthinking this can crush us. Who should I marry? Is this person right for me? Is it not right for me? Should I take this job? Should I move? We make a list of pros and cons. We research. We we Google search. We creep on Facebook just to make sure that this is the right person for me to date. You know you do this. Don't lie. (laughs) But in the end, we we can't know it all. Though we research and that's good and raw information is good, we need wisdom. And we need wisdom because no human being knows everything. And this is why the older in the book of Proverbs have superiority over the youth because they've aged. They've seen and experienced more of life than the young. But no human being sees everything. But wisdom has. Wisdom has seen it all. Wisdom has seen everything. She was with God in the beginning. She saw how the world was framed. She saw how man was made. Wisdom can answer questions that research cannot. Because we all know the facts And we can gather all the facts, we might not know what to do with them. See, the goal of biblical wisdom is not knowledge. It is not intelligence. It is not information. All of us are drowning in information. The goal of biblical wisdom from God is deep and abiding character. The goal from the wisdom of God is deep and abiding character. Actually, it's a combination of knowledge and character. That's wisdom. If you can think of wisdom like this, the combination of both knowledge and character. It's knowing what is right to do and when it's right to do it. It's knowing the right thing to do and then when's the appropriate time to do the right thing. Because the right thing at the wrong time is wrong. This is one of my favorite proverbs. Proverbs. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Now you're like, the law says that we are to be a blessing. I want to bless my neighbors. Bless you, neighbor. It's like six in the morning, rise and shine. God bless you. They're like, I hate you and I'm going to kill you. My wife is not a morning person at all. She's normally like a 10 p.m. to two in the morning person. She's a night owl. So in the morning, I'm a morning person. I like wake up, I'm like, hey, how you doing? What's going on? I open all the blinds, get some light in this place. <laughs> blessing to you. Good morning, wife, I love you. And I just sometimes want to bombard with questions. How'd you sleep? What were your dreams like? What's your plans for today? <laughs> and she's like, I'm, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm blessing you. She's are like, you, why do you hate me? I love you. You hate me. This is, but it's right a blessing, and, and even if I woke up and go, let me just pray for you right now, like she'd be going, listen, God bless you, but no, go pray in another room. <laughs> like I don't need this right now. But it's right to do. It's at the wrong time, so it's wrong. <laughs> but is this, a, is this an absolute? There are times when um, I can wake up and be really busy in my office in the morning, studying, getting ready, and what, so on and so forth, and I can hear my wife get up in the morning and get coffee and do all this stuff, and I can just completely just shut off and just be in my office and not go greet her. And then she feels kind of like, should I go in? Do I bother him? Do I not? And so it's probably good for me to apply wisdom just go out and just give her a, a nice quiet hug. Hi, good morning. <laughs> and then walk away. <laughs> wisdom. I can't say, oh, see, I, I, can't, I'm not gonna, I can't bless her in the morning. It's still early. It's still morning. You need wisdom. Proverbs, proverbs are guidelines for character formation. They are guidelines for our character formation. I want you to think of wisdom like this. Wisdom is a combination of knowing the law. Let's say, for example, thou shalt not steal. That's the law. It's a combination of knowing, okay, I know that I should not steal, but also understanding the law. Meaning, how am I supposed to apply this law in various circumstances? But it's also not just that. It's also contemplating the meaning and the reason for the law. Why is the law here? What does stealing do to society? What is the importance of personal property to God? It's understanding that. But then it's not, that's not the end of it. It's also living on the path to where the law points. What does thou shalt not steal? What path of wisdom does that point towards? It, It points towards the path of respect. It points towards the path of justice. It points towards the path of generosity. It points towards the path of honesty. Wisdom is knowing the law, knowing God's moral absolutes, the way that the world should work, but also not just that, understanding the law. Understanding when to apply it. Understanding when to do it and when not to do it. It's It's contemplating the meaning and the reason for the law. What am I I introducing into society as I live a life that does not steal? But not just that. It's living on a path where I'm like, well, listen, at least I don't steal. But are you respectful? Are you just? Are you generous? Are you honest? In Proverbs, we are not looking for simply the right thing to do. But the right ways to be. Proverbs, in Proverbs, what wisdom is. Wisdom is what you become. And we're going to talk about this, and this is going to unfold as we talk about it. Wisdom is not just, a, it's not just it's a path you're on, but you become your path. This is why we must pursue wisdom, because wisdom is a way of being. Okay, so how do we receive it then? How do we get wisdom? Look at chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. Look at the... the Look at the language that that the the writer uses, that Solomon uses. He says, If you turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Here's how you get wisdom. And I don't think I put this on, on the screen this morning, so you might have to write this one down. Wisdom comes through a posture. Wisdom is a posture. And by posture, I mean a mental or spiritual state. It's a posture. Wisdom is a posture of both value and humility. Wisdom is a posture of value and humility. Look at the value. Look at how much this writer tells us to value wisdom. He says, turn your ear to it, apply your heart to it, call out for it, cry aloud for it, look for it as silver, search for it as for hidden treasure. Turn, apply, call, cry, look, search. Wisdom does not happen through osmosis. Wisdom won't happen to you as you hear this sermon and go, oh, I want it, and then boom, you have it. (laughs) Wisdom is a pursuit. Wisdom is something you go after, It's a longing, it's respecting its value and its worth in your life and doing everything you can to get it. It's going, I need the wisdom of God and I want it and I want to pursue it and whatever it costs me, as Proverbs 4, 7 says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. That's the wisest thing, Proverbs says. The beginning of wisdom is this, get it. Go on, get it. That's that's the beginning of wisdom, get wisdom. And then it says this, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Go for it, long for it, value it. Wisdom is a slow and long road. It doesn't happen overnight, but it does start with desire, a desire for wisdom. See, this book was written by a father to a son. This, first, this book was written by Solomon and a couple of other writers to their sons. And then later it was used for a master and apprentice relationship. So it's written by a father going, son, I want you to get wisdom, and I'm going to give you a book to teach you wisdom. I'm going to walk you through this the rest of your life. As you grow up, you're going to walk. And then eventually turn into like a a school where, where sages would teach the young in Israel wisdom. This is why wisdom is personified as a woman. And the father says, go get this woman. Pursue her. If it costs you everything you have, no matter what it costs you, go after her. She's beautiful. And he contrasts Lady Wisdom with Folly the whore. And he says, don't go after her. She's cheap. She's easy. She's not worth it. You will end up in hell if you go after Folly. But go after Wisdom, and she will adorn your head with a crown. The last posture is humility. There's value, you want it, you want to go after it, you want to long for it, I need this wisdom, but it's also humility. And this is a posture of getting wisdom starts with a posture of humility. Proverbs chapter one, verse four and five says, this is who wisdom is for, look at verses four through five. It says, forgiving prudence to those who are simple. So wisdom is for the simple. Can you imagine if I walked up this morning and go, good morning, everyone who's simple. You are so simple. Is that a compliment? No, that's not a compliment. Like if you walked up to me and you asked me a question, I'm, oh, you're so simple-minded. No one would go, what? Like, thank you. That's a compliment. Everybody would go, I'm offended. This book is for the simple-minded. This book is for the young. This, and it says, let the wise add to their learning. So even if you are wise, add to your learning. And verse 5 it says, let the discerning get guidance. So it's for the simple, it's for the young, it's for even those who are wise, and it's for the discerning. No matter where you're at, the beginning of wisdom is a realization that you are not wise, only God is wise. It's a realization that even the wise people go, I still need wisdom. Even if you're in here and you're and you're in the demographic where you're over 80 years old, you're like, I've lived life, I know the way this world works. You would be wise to say, I still don't know it all, only God does. I need wisdom. If you are a a founder of a very successful company and you're like, but I've done it all, I'm successful in doing this and this and this, it would be wise for you to stay humble and go, I still need wisdom. Wisdom happens for those who humble themselves. This is why wisdom must begin with the fear of the Lord. It's a humble approach that says, I don't know it all and I go to God for help. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, He was spending a lot of time with people that the moral elite thought were the untouchables. Tax collectors and sinners is what uh, the book of Mark calls them. And in one pericope, one little story, we have this. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners, there's that word, the moral elite were like, okay, I can't even believe you would eat with those people. Tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and with his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these moral elites saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, and this is for us today, listen, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not, call, call, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What Jesus meant by this is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's not those who think they are healthy. What Jesus meant was that for those who think they are healthy, a doctor can do nothing for you. Oh, I'm fine. I don't need to go to the doctor. Oh, I don't, I don't need, I don't, I don't need, I don't, I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm completely healthy. Well, then you can actually be sick and die. If there's people that are wise in their own eyes, there's nothing that God can do for you. And you miss it. you'll miss it every time. You think you might have God and life and the universe all figured out. They think they are well. You think you are well, and you never seek a doctor. But the sick, those who know they have need, they are the ones who receive true healing. They are the ones who receive true wisdom. It's those who know they need wisdom, they are the ones who receive wisdom. It's the the ones who know that they need to receive wisdom from God are the ones who get get wisdom. The wise in their own eyes miss it every time. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity... In God, you come up against something which in, every respect, uh, in which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not go- know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is looking down on things and people, and, of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Humble yourself before God. I value wisdom, and I humble myself, God, and I ask you for wisdom. Because wisdom comes from you alone. And of course, when we talk about the pursuit of wisdom and knowing wisdom we're talking about the pursuit of Christ. Because the New Testament and the historical redemptive arc of Scripture lands like this in Colossians 2. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, we have all wisdom and knowledge. The pursuit of wisdom is not some impersonal pursuit for the way life works, When I'm asking you to pursue and value wisdom, I'm not asking you to go and pursue some impersonal force that keeps the world together or some abstract force to get the good life. Wisdom is a person. Knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom, and we know God through Jesus Christ, who is for us the wisdom of God. And so when I say this morning, value it and pursue it, we go to Christ for that. We look to Christ. We humble ourselves before Christ, and we say, God, would you give us wisdom from heaven? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that you offer us wisdom. Yes, we are so um, needy and sick and poor. That's us, and we get that. But Jesus, you made yourself like one of us. You humbled yourself that we could be exalted, that you, God, could relate to us, that we could know you, and we could know wisdom. And so I pray that this church would value you, Lord, and worship you. And above all else, humble themselves under your mighty hand. I pray that we would, together as a congregation, as a family, pursue the wisdom of God I thank you that the, that the promise is that we get you and you will make us to know wisdom and walk in every good path. Would you please, Lord, as we seek you now, may we be found and may we find you. In Christ's name, amen.